welcome to the third episode of the Dreamer Diary podcast. As you may have already noticed, I'm trying new things such as adding music, uh, playing with the filters a little bit so that way you get a little bit more of a clearer, crisp sound as I speak to you in these podcasts. So please bear with me uh, as I continue to learn more about how to use technology to kind of make my podcast a little bit better for you, especially if you're listening on cell phone, mobile device, or or whatever medium you're using it to listen to this podcast. Thank you so much. Um, I'm definitely looking to improve the quality of of the content that I'm providing to you guys. So before we begin, kind of staying along those same lines of just trying to provide you guys a better experience as I share my story and as I start to bring people onto this podcast, I want to learn what do you guys want to hear you know, I have some ideas, I have some thoughts as to what sounds interesting to me, but I've already lived through my experience. I've already gone through what I have gone through, and I'm curious to know what you guys all care about. So please uh, engage with this podcast. You can send me an email at thedreamerdiary21 at gmail.com, and I will look at your, your emails, I will look at your recommendations, suggestions, and please um, share with me so that way I can create better content for you guys. And that kind of leads into today's podcast, which is this idea that I've, I've kind of chewed up um, in my mind for quite some time now, actually. It's something that, um, that if you're not a native-born American, you get asked at least once, and that is a question of where are you from? And I guess even if you're born here, um, but you don't fit the traditional uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Aesthetic of what an American could could look like. You you might get that question, even though you were born here. So, I've thought about this in great frequency, actually. And the question that I I ponder, and it kind of leads into this this thought, which is, am I from here or am I from there? Because sometimes I feel like I'm neither from here nor there. And so that kind of leads into this idea of identity, right? Especially for those dreamers, those undocumented people who were brought here as young children. And then they go through the process of becoming educated in the uh, American educational system. That experience right there exposes you to a way of life, uh, a way of learning, a way of educating oneself that is different from what can be experienced in other countries. Uh, namely because we teach a different system here in this country. And so, you know, as you're a young person from a different country trying to figure out if you are from here or you're not from here, you know, you start to ask yourself, well, who do I identify more as, right? Do I speak Spanish? Do I speak English? Is Spanish my first language? Or is English my first language? What does that mean when I, you know, grow up? How, How do I identify do I identify as Hispanic, Latino, Latina? What about um, these hyphenated labels, Mexican-American, uh, Ecuadorian-American, like all these hyphenated um, categories? Do I identify with that? Do I identify with that more than I do with Hispanic? So there's all these nuances of identity that I think many immigrants go through, Um Especially if, like I said, if you're brought here as a young person. So I wanted to kind of expound on this idea, this concept of identity. 
Like, how do we develop it? Where does it come from? And more specifically, how does it relate to the undocumented experience? So I kind of wanted to start there and talk about the notion of identity and what it means for somebody like me, who I once believed I was an American, right? Only to find out that I wasn't. And then later on, actually becoming an American 32 years uh, after I was brought to this to this wonderful country. So I recently recently listened to a YouTube video on motivation and how do you renew your your body and your mind. And the individual, his name is Ed Milet, and in the presentation of the motivational video that I was watching, he said something that kind of got me thinking. Well, actually, it wasn't him; it was one of his um, his guests that said this, but. Um, what was said was identity is the governor of our lives. It's the invisible force that no one understands. And once they do understand and get a hold of it, their life can change. And so when I first heard that, I had to listen to it a couple times actually, because it kind of got me thinking identity is the governor of our lives, the invisible force that no one understands. But once you understand it, your life can change. And I started to ponder on that and realize that that there's a lot of truth to that you know listening to this hit me like a train and I think it impacted me so profoundly because as an undocumented person you have to navigate multiple identities such as you have to be an interpreter for your parents you have to be a son or a daughter you have to be a student you have to be an athlete you have to be a brother or sister you have to advise on technology you have to be a financial advisor for your parents. Sometimes you have to act as a teacher, a caretaker to siblings while, par- while the parents are working. As an extension of that, you kind of have to be a tutor, a tutor to your younger siblings. And so all of this kind of goes into this notion of identity. And if you're an undocumented person, what are you? Which do you identify more as? Well, and then you know, as we start to dive into more of the social, um, cultural identities that exist, especially today as we're talking more often than not about these, um, you know, LGBTQ issues and, you know, how people identify within that realm as well. That adds another layer of complexity to what I'm, uh, you know, discussing right now about navigating and dealing with multiple identities so we have to learn to juggle multiple identities at home and then manage totally different identities outside of the house so not only are we having to figure out how we do this but there's no guidebook right there's no manual that like as an undocumented person you can quickly search and say well today i need to find out how to be an x kind of a person that doesn't exist so we have to be somebody different with every person that we meet. And the reason for this, it's so that we don't draw attention to ourselves and our family uh, status, because doing that um, may draw unwanted attention. And as an undocumented person, especially as a student, that's the last thing you want to bring to, to, to the forefront is unwanted attention to your family. So any young person, regardless of status, Um, has an identity or something that drives them to get up every day. And so when you're undocumented, that sometimes, uh, that that something oftentimes is fear. And so what I mean by fear, and I think we've all experienced different levels or versions of fear, but if you've never been undocumented, 
or if you currently are undocumented or like me, you overcame that, that, that uh, status, um, you understand this version of fear. And what it is, it's not knowing whether or not your mom or dad is going to get picked up by immigration and or deported. It is not knowing if you're going to have enough food on your table. It is not knowing whether or not you will have um, money to buy clothes or to buy school supplies. It is the fear of being caught by your peers for wearing the same outfit several times a week because your parents just simply can't afford to get you new ones. It is the fear of somebody of meeting somebody new and then they ask you, "Hey, where are you from?" only to respond and then they find and then find out finding out that they're they have a second question, which is, "No, no, 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 no. Tell me, where are you really from?" And if you're a person um, listening to this podcast and have ever been asked this question, you know how it feels. Because it's a question that's kind of multifaceted. Because it's not a question that comes from this idea of, you know, I want to know where you come from because I want to understand your background. In my particular case, it was always like, no, 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 no. Tell me, where are you really from? I mean, like, where are your parents from? And then I would respond by saying, hey, my family were from Mexico. And then only to have them respond by, oh, so did they come legally? <laughs> and so that right there is is a very, very um, difficult question to, to answer. And so oftentimes, it's a whole lot easier to just say, oh, I'm from here. And in my particular case, um, that was something that made it very easy for people to you know, not second, not second guess or question whether or not I was from here or not, because as you can already tell, I speak English with no accent and for better or worse, you know, that is a good thing or a bad thing. But I can tell you that from my personal experience, you know, it served me well. And when you're growing up in a place like Utah, which is such a unique particular place to grow up. And here's why. So growing up in Utah, I hated that question, uh, and mostly it was because if, if, if you've ever gone to Utah, live there, or know people from Utah, you'll know a lot of the common things, especially as it pertains to the religion. Um, and in my particular case, because the you know Latter-day Saint faith has their church headquarters there, it's very easy to come across somebody who served a foreign-speaking Latter-day Saint mission. And more commonly, um, a Spanish-speaking one, you know, because the the church has sent thousands of Spanish-speaking individuals um, on these missions. And when they come home, you know, they speak Spanish. And so I can't tell you the number of times that somebody would approach me while I was in school, um, attending some event at work, or just out and about. And somebody would ask me, hey, where are you from? Or, or and, and this is more of just a, a personal pet peeve, they would automatically just start speaking Spanish to me. And so this bothered me because um, they would either, because I took it as either they were assuming that I spoke Spanish because of the color of my skin or because they had a different agenda, right? And if the person was antagonistic, then, you know, they definitely had an agenda that they wanted to fulfill. And usually that agenda was accompanied by some type of racism or some type of discriminatory 
uh, statement that would usually follow, um, you know, them saying something hurtful to me or to someone in my community. And so what this ultimately did for me was I, I kind of just learned to kind of shelter myself. You know, I, I, I kind of said, you know what, I'm just going to try to act as white or as American as, as can be. I'm going to learn to speak a certain way. I'm going to dress a certain way. I'm going to present myself in a certain way. And I'm going to have the goals and aspirations of somebody who would be, you know, um, a traditional American. But regardless of whatever the reasons were behind these return missionaries or Spanish-speaking people um, were, whether it was, you know, um, to really get to know me or if they had a different agenda, um, I, I, I hated that question. And so I learned, you know, that it's, it's better to just um, present yourself in such a way that you want people to treat you. So when people would say to me, hey, hablas espanol? I would take that and say, yeah, si hablo espanol. But then if they automatically, or better yet, if they automatically went into speaking Spanish, I'd be like, oh, sorry, I don't speak Spanish. Knowing 100% full well that I do. But it was just the discourtesy of them taking the time to ask me whether or not I spoke it or not. And so... Like I said previously, when I would get that question of where are you from and I would respond, you know, I'm from here. Um, the two types of reactions that I would get were, um, well, you don't look like you're from Mexico. Are you really from Mexico? Or, or they would follow that up with, oh, I love Mexico. I have many Mexican friends or I love Mexican food, which is great. It, yeah, that's fine. But then when they follow that up with, follow that statement with a question, so did you come illegally or how, how did you come to the U.S.? <laughs> oh, man, whenever I would get that question, I would always just kind of, you know, it, within myself, you know, just kind of pull my hair out, so to speak, because the reality is it's like, what what's the need to ask that question? Like, what's the purpose? There's no reason to ask somebody did you come legally unless you had a reason? And usually that reason was to make that person feel less than. So no matter their reaction, um, you know, every every time I was asked this question, it felt to me like I was pushed up against the wall, you know, cornered, looking for a way out that I just could not find. So growing up was hard um, and it still was hard, you know, trying to understand who I am and how I want to identify because the reaction is, when I identify myself as Mexican in certain set uh, in certain settings, I'm quickly reminded that I'm not as Mexican as other Mexicans, and usually it's because of how I speak. Um, because I did prioritize speaking English before Spanish, you know, I did develop an American accent, and when I speak Spanish, it's very much <laughs> Americanized. People always say, oh, suenas como gringo. You know, you sound like a, like a white person speaking Spanish. Um, or they would say to me, oh, like this was one that, that I thought was really funny. So for a period of time, uh, I worked for the Mexican government. I worked for the Mexican consulate in Utah. And there I helped people, both young and old, citizen, non-citizen, I helped all sorts of people that needed, you know, assistance from the Mexican consulate. And one of the things that I thought was really funny was 
as I was helping the younger people, especially, you know, the teens at the time go, who, who were trying to apply for DACA, Deferred Action for, Ch- for Childhood Arrivals, you know, I would, I would help them. So we would be speaking in English and then their parents would, you know, because it was the consulate, you know, I really try to push my Spanish just to make it better. So when I was speaking Spanish uh, to the parents, the parents would be like, oh, so de que parte de México eres? I'd be like, oh, soy de Guanajuato. And they'd be like, ah, pero cuando te trajeron acá? And then, or, or if you don't speak Spanish, it's when did they bring you to the U.S.? And then I would say, oh, you know, they brought me over when I was six months old. And I can't tell you how often this would be the reaction. Ah, por eso hablas como gringo. <laughs> or, oh, that's why you sound like a white person. And in the beginning, it didn't bother me because I was like, you know, they're kind of right, you know. Um, and again, I just barely, at that point in my life, I just found out that, um, you know, I didn't have papers and I was still trying to navigate that. So I was still kind of trying to figure out who I, who I am. And so even though on paper, I'm Mexican, uh, socially or culturally, um, or behaviorally, I was more American than I am Mexican because I didn't, I didn't listen to Mexican music. Um, I never grew up listening to banda or anything like that. So to me, I, I, I couldn't connect in that regard. But when I chose to identify as an American, I was quickly reminded that I was not an American because, you know, my parents didn't grow up reading or listening to the Beach Boys or, you know, um, going to college and joining a sorority or any of those types of traditional American um, practices. So for me, it was very much like, I was stuck. It's like, I'm not Mexican enough for Mexican people, but then I'm not American enough for American people because I would always get asked, where are you from? Are you really from here? Oh, you don't look this or you don't speak like this or you don't sound like this. So it was always this constant struggle of how do I want to identify? Who am I, right? And so I I, I had a hard time as well identifying as I got older with the label of Mexican-American. Because by the definition of it, sure, you could say I'm Mexican-American because I was born in Mexico and then later on became a U.S. citizen. But to me, I kind of struggle with this because this label, Mexican-American, has strong relevance and connection to the Chicano culture. And that's a culture that I was not raised in. So I have a hard time labeling myself as a Mexican-American because my parents... Yes, they are Mexico, but I wasn't born here, right? So I'm Mexican, Mexican, American, uh, if that's even a label. Uh, I guess I'll use it today. So the label that I actually prefer to use is one that I've never heard anybody else refer to it this way, but I self-refer to it, which is um, American Mexican. Um, Because to me, I think it's more representative of who I am today. You know, some might say that rearranging the nationalities is basically the same thing. But to me, I disagree because in my heart, I'm as American as they come. I just happen to have a, a, you know, a darker skin color. And I also feel that it's representative because I think about the experiences that I've had here in the United States, right? Like when 9-11 happened, I felt a deep connection to the events that were taking place. I felt deep admiration for the soldiers, the military people the people in government who are out risking their lives so that we can have the freedoms that we enjoy here in this country. So to me, I am more American 
then I am Mexican. But I can't help but deny that. I, I can't help, I cannot deny that I'm also Mexican because I was born over there, right? I have family over there. I have memories and experiences that connect me to that part of, of the world. And so, as I mentioned, you know, when the events of 9-11 happened, um, as an example, you know, I told myself if I could join the military, I will. And I thought it was, you know, representative of how I feel about this country. I love it. And so when I finally had the opportunity to enlist in the military, so I got my permanent residency in 2016. And so at that point, I attempted to enlist in the military again, out of pure patriotism, actually a couple of times, believe it or not, but every time I would go to the local recruiting offices in Salt Lake City, Utah to attempt to enlist, um, for one reason or another, it just, I, it didn't work out, and so it was hard for me to kind of feel like I, I, I could give back to my country, the country that gave me so much, um, because it was almost like they didn't want me, you know, like, I, I met all the qualifications for it, but then for one reason or another, it just never came to fruition. And so it, it always bothered me that I never had that opportunity to. And then um, as, as, you know, I'll describe later on in another podcast, I ended up developing an autoimmune disor- disorder, um, which prevents me from being able to participate in the military and so, you know, it was kind of a bummer when that all happened because I always aspired to join, right? Like I really wanted to join the Air Force because I had family in it and I saw the amazing things that they did with the Air Force, which made me want to join, like it inspired me to. And, you know, sure, some listening could say, well, there are other branches of the military that have not as restrictive um, recruiting uh, guidelines or or requirements or qualifications but even when I tried it just didn't come it just didn't happen so it just wasn't in my cards to do so right which was really unfortunate because I think I would have made a great a great serviceman you know I speak multiple languages I speak obviously English Spanish and American Sign Language uh, is, is my third language that I'm fluent but I've also studied other things you know I've gone on to get um, you know, an associate's degree, a bachelor's degree, and then two master's degrees. You know, I'm technologically proficient and efficient in, you know, um, complex processes and, and data um, and stuff like that. So I, I think I could have been a great asset to the military. But again, for one reason or another, it just never played out. So this kind of leads into the question, um, this question that I've thought a lot about, which is, so what is my identity? And I guess, I'll kind of pivot that to you guys. What is your identity? How do you know that that's your identity? And at what point in your life did you make that? Did you realize that? To me, or I guess for me, you know, my identity is whatever I want it to be. So there are moments where I want to identify in a certain way, which changes with my environment and the people I'm around. To me, identity is essential to knowing who we are and what we want to become. So this concept of understanding oneself and developing is something that very few Hispanic, Latino, and more specifically Mexican households teach, because doing so in many cases runs contrary to the household rules and religion. 
And I think about um, my friends who are of the LGBTQ community and struggle with this, this idea or this this concept of, you know, maintaining harmonious relationships in a household that doesn't agree with who you are, what you stand for, and what you what what you, what you've become. Again, you know, many households operate in very machista or very masculine patriarchal type households where the thought of any type of of discussion that runs contrary to 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 that um establishment is will never be heard and that happens all the time in hispanic households in 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 my case when you consider the religion side of things where you know in in the latter-day saint faith when you turn 18 um it's highly encouraged that young men serve latter-day saint missions um and then as part of that you know there's this obligation or this feeling to do so and so when you're a Mexican person, a Mexican young man living in a Mexican household, you know, you have to abide by those parameters that are already established by the Mexican community or the culture. And then sometimes those cultures run contrary to the cultures that you've developed because you were raised here in this country, right? Uh, it's funny because um, those listening to this podcast who are Hispanic, Mexican, Latinos, um, can identify with what I'm about to say. And what I'm about to say is that um, m- in many cases, the parents will say, Tú no te me vas de esta casa hasta que, hasta que te cases. O te vayas a la escuela. Which in English means, you can't leave my house until you get married or you go to school. And I've heard it go both ways for both male and female. But yet, the American culture says... When you turn 18, you're on your own. You're an adult. You make adult decisions. So go out and be free. And so when you're a person that is kind of biculturally kind of embedded in two different cultures with opposing ideologies, how do you navigate those, right? It's really hard. And again, when you layer on these other things such as religion, um, sexual orientation, um, and stuff like that, it just makes it even more complicated. And so to me, uh, that's something that growing up was really hard, you know, because I had aspirations for what I wanted to become, but I can never really become them because, again, of my label and also number two, because of this idea that you can't leave my house until you get married. And that, I think, is is toxic in many ways. Um, And I'm sure many of you listening to this might have your own opinion on it, and that's fine. Totally respect it. But the reality is, when you're a young person and you're stuck between these two cultures, which one takes precedence? The one that you're living in, that now makes you an adult when you turn 18? Or your mom and dad's, who, it doesn't matter if you're 60 and they're 80, and if you're still living in their roof, under their roof, yeah, you don't have a choice in anything. So which one takes precedence, right? So as I said uh, in the beginning of this post, um, uh, that once we understand, you know, what our our in- invisible force is, we understand how we can truly change our life. And so, to me, 
being 32 years of age, you know, I'm just now learning this principle. And I'll be honest, it's not easy to do. You know, I struggle with it. I'm still trying to learn. I'm still trying to figure out which, who is the real Chris. You know, because there's many versions of myself. But I'm learning and I'm growing. And so I, I would say if, if you're on this journey yourself, on a journey to try to discover who you really are and what makes you tick, you know, the only thing I can say just from personal experience is to keep learning and discovering who you are because you are meant to do big things and only you can dictate your worth. And so that is, that is all I have for you. Again, please engage with with this podcast please follow uh click the the follow button on um on whatever so on whatever medium you're listening to this presentation and so you so you get up to date on the next podcast and the next um episode Uh, again i would encourage all of you if possible to connect and engage with me on the social media channels that i provided previously feel free to send me an email if you have anything specific that you'd like me to kind of research, find people to kind of bring on to my podcast to talk about. Uh, again, it could be anything related to education. It could be anything related to the undocumented experience. Again, please connect and engage with this podcast. The email is thedreamerdiary21 at gmail.com. And that is all I have for you. We'll see you on the next one.